Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Hooked On Podcast. I'm Rob McNichol and I'm looking forward to the pay-per-view this coming Sunday, which is only two weeks before the pay-per-view that comes Sunday after that, which is four weeks after the one, let's face it, they're all the time. I can't keep up, you probably can't keep up. But we're going to hit a couple of pay-per-views today, we're going to talk some NXT and we're going to talk the hardcore legend in a packed Hooked On Podcast. And who better to do that with me first up than my good friend and co-host, Paul Benson. How are you doing, Paul? Hello, Squire. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much. And hello, listeners. Thanks for coming back to us again. Your loyalty is much appreciated. Well, that, that went a bit... Um, you went a bit voice in a the supermarket there. I was expecting <laughs> you to say, uh, thank you for your loyalty, and you'll find some excellent <laughs> offers on aisle three today. And uh, chocolate digestives and Vidal Sassoon. I think I'm still in sales mode. I've been I've been in sales mode all day, and I think I'm just struggling. I've only just rushed through the door, so I'm kind of struggling to get out of it. So excuse me now if I'm a bit cheesy. Actually, to be Sorry. fair, you've been up since about three o'clock this morning, haven't you? And we're recording this about ten o'clock at night, listeners. And Paul's been up since about three this morning in in another country. So I'll uh, I'll cut him a little bit of slack. Not that I'm often uh, wanting to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but but speaking of another country, we are going over the airwaves all the way back to Canada again this week. We've had it's a, it's a repeat guest, but we've been uh, looking for to getting him back on at some point from tjrwrestling.net it's john canton how you doing john i'm good guys how are you guys doing thanks for staying up with me at uh, 10 p.m your time it's 5 p.m here i got the nba finals tonight i'm all excited but yeah there's a lot of wrestling going on too there really is we were just uh, part of the reason for me uh saying about all the pay-per-views in the opener there was we were just talking off air about uh, John was talking about it being a big pay-per-view weekend this weekend and we were saying isn't every weekend a pay-per-view one these days but you were saying that uh, for you John although it feels like there's a, there's a lot more going on and perhaps it's slightly watering down the concept you were just saying to us that when you've got a website and you want some traffic going on it always picks up on a pay-per-view Sunday so the more the merrier yeah I mean that's the the negative for, for us as fans I think we could all kind of say like we wish the storylines would play out more like the way NXT does it I know we'll talk NXT but like it takes three months to get to a pay-per-view or two months so there's more of a build sometimes And whereas if you're on Raw and Smackdown it's like okay I think four or five of the matches on Extreme Rules are repeats of matches we've already seen so it, it gets repetitive and stuff but yeah like when you're running the website you're you, like I do or you're talking to people online like I do um, you need stuff to talk about and pay-per-views is like okay is this per- person going to win the title is this person going to do this you know so it gives us stuff to talk about while the, the product is not as hot as it usually is because you know maybe July August it'll be hotter with SummerSlam but May and June are typically slow months indeed and then since you um, since you mentioned NXT I think that's a good place for us to um, uh, to start our discussion here Paul and I were um uh, talking quite a lot of uh, NXT subjects uh, last week. Um, was it last week? Yeah, it was last week, wasn't it? And um, uh, 
we got into lots of different um, talk about specifically the uh, the last NXT takeover, in which we had a slight falling out about uh, some quality of certain matches. We're not going to rake over those coals again, but we did promise that we'd uh, have a little bit more of a general chat of uh, of NXT. And in fact, Paul set up the situation because it was you that said you wanted to um, uh, talk about it a little bit further. So, what's on your mind um, as far as you know, talking about the state of the union, as it were, with NXT? Well, first of all, I am actually going to my to NXT next week. Of course you are. That's right. Yeah, next Wednesday, yeah. I'm actually well, actually thinking about it, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into Leeds next Wednesday. They've got the tour that's coming starting in the UK in Aberdeen, going through Leeds and Brighton. I'm going to Leeds, but then I'm also gonna get the opportunity to see them at least twice at the download festival at the weekend. Um so that's going to. So I'm, I'm probably going to see three NXT shows in the next sort of ten days, which is pretty cool. That is pretty uh, cool. Can I let everyone in behind the curtain as far as that goes about um, your very kind offer to me this week? Sure, can. Go well, on. Paul, go on. Paul sent me a little text a couple of days ago saying you can. Uh, we're going to download at the weekend, and well, the next weekend with the. Uh, the NXT is on. It's like we can. I'll probably get you a pass. Do you fancy coming? And I was like, Oh, that might be an idea. I was like, What sort of what sort of music is in this? Like, well, it's, it's probably not your scene, mate. It's sort of metal and punk and rock. And I was like, mm, Maybe. I was like, Would I have to camp? Oh yeah, I'm not coming. That's, um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I have a house. It's got central heating and roofs and windows and floors and a bed and everything. And I, uh, I'm, uh, I refuse to go in a tent. So, um, so yeah. I'm so I'm, so I'm not going to the download festival uh, in Donington. Um, but uh, but Paul will be. And so um. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to. I suppose it'll be two weeks' time. We'll uh, we'll have a chat all about uh, your NXT experiences. But but for now, yeah, back to you, mate. In terms of uh, what you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So look, obviously, I've I've been a big fan of NXT over the last couple of years. I think it's been an absolutely brilliant show. Um, I'm sure John would agree that at points it's been unarguably the best wrestling show on TV. Um, it's been fantastic. Now it's had a little bit of a lull recently. Sort of since the start of the year, it's just not been what it has been, and I, I was pretty okay with that because, by its very nature, it's development territory. A lot of the big guys have gone up, and they've not replaced them. So I was kind of like, okay, it's still worth watching, but I'm not going to break my neck over. Then over WrestleMania weekend, it just seemed to flip, and suddenly you've got a whole new batch of fantastic guys in there. You've got Drew McIntyre, Alistair Black. Um, you've got the two newly single Ciampa and Gargano unfortunately we're not going to see them for a while the Authors of Pain coming of age basically you've got now a brand that I think in terms of talent is not maybe not quite as strong as it is heyday but certainly a credible enough ro- roster to have another another fantastic swing basically the second coming of NXT well it's a big it's a big claim um, I certainly think it's got a bit of um, bit of proving to do um, you know before that but I will say that the um no, we talked about it on the show last week, but the last takeover was, I think, they've done many, many good shows. I think that's as good as they've done. It's right up there with some of the uh, the better takeover shows, as we as we covered um, in great detail. Um, John, how do you stand on uh, on Paul's statement there? Are you um, are you a big NXT fan? Have you always been? Do you think it's it's on a on a, on a second wave? Yeah, I've watched it since day one. I mean, you know, since the reestablished with Triple H, and then. Um, I, I've been to a couple of the shows. I went to a takeover in Orlando in 2015, uh, October 2015 it was, and that was with Sasha Banks and Bailey going for 30 minutes in a Iron Woman match, Iron Man match, whatever it was, and they they went 30 minutes and I'm right in the background center center background the whole show and stuff, so it was, it was a lot of fun, 
And then I went to the taping the next night. That was when James Storm was there. Remember when he was there for like two tapings, and that was it. So he was he was the shocking debut there. That's right. And I was at the Survivor Series weekend show last uh, November in Toronto, where the crowd was just chanting ten all night basically. And it was that match between Gargano and Ciampa against the Revival was amazing. Uh, one of the best matches I've ever seen in person. So um, I, I mean I've I I. I've enjoyed it a lot. I, I don't think they're going to be peaking. Like, I don't think they're going to reach the heights they were at. I'd like to say their peak was uh, second half of 2015 and then, like, the first half of 2016 around when uh, WrestleMania Dallas weekend where it was Nakamura and Zayn as the main event. Like, I think that was kind of the peak. But the good thing is the takeover shows are very uh, structured in a way where you have five matches in two and a half hours. So that means you could give the people 15 to 20 minutes. Like some of the matches went 30 minutes at the last one, right? So um, they, they have a lot of time. They're not really, you know, if, if you watch Extreme Rules or a regular WWE pay-per-view, they might have nine or eight or nine matches in three hours. So it's kind of rushed. And you're kind of like, well, I wish that match had five minutes or more. Whereas in a, on NXT TakeOver shows, they're never rushed, right? So like with Tyler Bate faced Peter Dunn, uh, Pete Dunn a couple weeks ago at the TakeOver, what they get about 15, 60 minutes, it felt perfect. If they went 25, it would have been too much. If they went 10, it would have been too short. So they have a really good job of, of timing it and just making it feel like a good wrestling show. So I see what Paul's saying about being optimistic, but I don't think the weekly show is as must-see as it was in the past. Uh, but the takeovers are still excellent. Well, I'll, make, I'll make a confession and say that I'm, I've never been much of a viewer of the, of the weekly show, and that's more to do with... Um, my yeah, more to do with my time, also to do with habit. Um, it's interesting that uh, in an on-demand world, I mean, I always say that I watch almost no television live anymore, unless it's live football, live soccer, as we call it. Is we I hardly watch any live um, TV whatsoever. It's always on demand. It's on, um, yeah. on my DVR, on, on on my iPad, whatever. But even with Raw and SmackDown, I have a habit with them. I will, I will watch them on a, I can, you know, watch my DVR on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and I've kind of habit habitual with it, because I've never got into NXT in that way. I don't know when it's first aired on the network, that kind of thing. I've never really got into a habit of it, and I find it's easy to just go from takeover to takeover. So my knowledge of the NXT world, I'm not going to go too far and start doing universes, but my knowledge of the NXT world only really comes from those takeovers and the takeovers have maintained you know, their strength. They are often the window in which I am introduced to someone so I won't necessarily know of a, a No Way Jose or an Andrade Almas or someone until they pop up on a takeover and then I'm judging them at quite a high level then because obviously they're going to be wrestling vaguely marquee matches so um, I think I, so I'm I don't really know a lot about Alistair Black. I'm hearing a lot of good things about him, but uh, uh, I don't know a lot about him, for example. So um, I think I, I view it in a different way to, to some. Um, Paul, I think you were gonna you were just gonna come back onto what John said. Yeah, I know. I'm I I would say that definitely the weekly shows aren't quite what they were. Um, there, but for me, they're such an easy watch. Like I I haven't got very much time here. I've got a small child. I've got, you know, I've got working for myself now, working for a few different clients, so my time is so limited. But if I can only catch one wrestling show on a given week, and the choice is Raw, SmackDown, or NXT, there's absolutely no competition. It's going to be NXT every single time. With Raw and SmackDown, I'm pretty happy, unless something spectacular has happened. Just catch the highlights, just look at the results, see what I like, pick it out and watch it. 
Whereas with NXT, I try to stay as unspoiled as possible so I can watch it. It's an hour or 55 minutes. And it's just, it's, and it's so structured, like John says about the takeovers. Even the weekly shows, there's no fat, there's no messing around. It's matches, angles, feels very old school to me. It appeals to my sensibilities of not having to overthink things, not having to get, feel like you're having content rammed down your throat just to fill time. Um, it's all there for reason, and some of it's better than others, but I just appreciate everything there and why it's there. It makes it I, think, I think SmackDown's past NXT last year, like since the brand split, like when The Miz and Ambrose and uh, Ziggler and Styles and those guys were feuding, and then John Cena, like that SmackDown passed NXT, I think, last year. But I still enjoy NXT a lot. And my viewing habits, like I, I write live reviews of, of Ron SmackDown most weeks, so I, I do it on that evening, but. NXT, we have another writer on the site that does it, so usually I'll watch it like on Thursday morning while I'm eating breakfast kind of thing, so I, I don't really have to write about it, so it's just kind of on while I'm doing something else, and I enjoy it, but it, yeah, they just, they're not having as many great matches as they used to or big angles, but they're doing slow build to stuff, and like Paul said, it's kind of like an old school wrestling show. It's more geared to adult males kind of thing than you know, where, whereas, you know, the promos on, on Ron SmackDown sometimes are bad and they're geared to small children kind of thing. And, you know, but, you know, it's, it's tough to find a balance, but it's working and it's a third brand that's viable. And like Paul said, you guys got those shows in, in England coming up that are probably going to do really well in attendance, probably have more fans there than when they go on the U.S. tours. So, I mean, that's successful. You can't complain about that. I think we'll have a little, little bit of a small discussion about... Um... Uh, Raw v Smackdown certainly in terms of the top of the rosters um, coming up in a, in a short while on the show because we're going to have a look at the, the top matches as they're currently set on uh, Extreme Rules and on uh, Money in the Bank but before we do that is there um, anything else you wanted us to specifically cover Paul because this, this is your topic really the uh, the NXT thing here is there anything uh, you want to ask us about um, about NXT? The one point I wanted to make about NXT is is the is, is one word really opportunity um, I love how in NXT the cream rises to the top 99% of the time. You know, you get guys like and, and Tommaso, uh, Tommaso Ciampa and uh, Johnny Gagano are perfect examples. These guys were brought in as hired hands to make their big stars look good, to make their homegrown stars look good, Baron Corbin and such like. And they were so good and they hit it off with the audience that they couldn't help but push them. And they just they, they organically got over the audience and suddenly their huge stars putting on phenomenal matches and obviously that all culminated in the big heel turn um, this, 10 days ago or so and you know if, if the equivalent happened on the well if the equivalent debuts happened on the main roster they would never ever ever get to the point they were at and I just love the way that NXT can organically take these guys who were, it could be you know indie guys who WWE would never have previously looked at and transform them within a year into guys that are potential big talents coming in at a decent level. Kevin Owens being a perfect example of that. You know, Kevin Owens, if he'd have come straight into WWE, he'd have been bottom one of the card. Because he spent the time in NXT, when he hit into WWE, he was main event or upper mid card at the very worst. And I think, and I just love NXT for that. I love the fact that it's given this opportunity for guys to not just become cannon fodder when they come in well here's the thing we are going to talk about the um, the fatal five way uh, at extreme rules and we are going to talk about money in the bank 
uh, at Money in the Bank. And by my reckoning, looking through the list of 11 wrestlers, I think two of them weren't in NXT. I think nine out of the 11 have come through NXT. And the two that haven't, we're talking Dolph Ziggler and AJ Styles. So we're not exactly talking, you know, dodgy talent here. So whatever people may think about NXT of the show. See, I remember going right the way back to the... Do you remember when NXT very first started? It was this new project about these young guys, or new guys anyway, uh, and it was a story about them having a mentor, and it was it was kind of part work, part shoot, doing these little competitions, doing these you know tryouts essentially, and then having these matches, and people pan the show, and it doesn't. And I remember at the time going, it doesn't matter what you think of this show. It is a little bit like a youth team. You know, for football, it doesn't matter if they win the league. It matters that those that under 18 team produces players for the first team. And if you can get two or three players into your first team out of your under 18s, you're doing well. It doesn't matter how they do in their league. They could win the league, but if all those players end up not making the grade, it doesn't matter. And that first season of NXT, you know, it produced Daniel Bryan, although that was a, you know, pretty much a hit anyway, but it produced Wade Barrett. And then you've only got to look through the, the guys that ended up being the Nexus. And you, know, and you can argue all you like about their quality, but it, it produced... You know, um, you know, David Otunga and Ryback and you know whoever else was in was in that group. I've probably missed off someone obvious. Justin Gabriel was okay for a little bit, and it's like a lot of those guys went on to do well. And then you just keep on going down the list of the, the other years. So even though NXT, the show as it was, got some stick, it produced a lot of talent that ended up on the on the roster. And now the new NXT, as it were, the, the NXT that we've now come to love. You know, I think it's fair to say that a lot of these guys, if they've been put on straight on the main roster, would have been successes anyway. But maybe it's a two-way street. Here's what I'm getting at, is that we're always hearing about how NXT is, is the place that people go to learn. They learn the camera angles. They learn to slow down their moves. They learn to interact with the crowd. They learn the WWE way. Maybe, just as much as important, the WWE get to learn about those guys. Maybe if, as you're saying, Paul, someone like Gargano and Ciampa gets put straight onto the main roster, they just fade away. But maybe the same is true for Kevin Owens and for Samoa Joe, and for Finn Balor, and for Seth Rollins, is that maybe these guys wouldn't have been appreciated if it were not for them genuinely having to get over in another territory, have someone like Triple H as a champion for them, and then they get moved up to the main roster where they get appreciated because they get brought in at a higher level rather than just being chucked on as a new guy. What do you think? Paul? I, I, just, I, I fully agree. Um, in short, I think you're right. I think it's good that they've got a ground where like I said, WWE can learn the strengths and the weaknesses because on Raw and SmackDown, you know, but you're not going to get the time. Simple as that. You've got a lot of you've got a lot of moving parts to service on a on three hours of Raw or two hours of SmackDown. And Tommaso Ciampa would have been lucky to get a two-minute squash match. Mm-hmm. So what can you prove in that? Absolutely nothing. Where NXT. But way more people get... are going to watch that though. That's the thing. There's way more people watching those TV shows. Like Rob was saying, he doesn't even watch NXT. He watches the other two. So that, that's that's, that's the thing. But ultimately, like Rob, like Rob was alluding to, that ultimately is not, to me, or certainly wasn't previously, the point. As long as these guys are learning how to be in front of a crowd, how do we how do we can use them? The profit, the invest. Think of NXT as the investment in them, and it doesn't really matter how many eyeballs are on. And they realise that the profit on the investment when they put them on the main show and they do well. Uh, uh, I, 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 I think brand now but ultimately it's still developmental to some degree it's almost like a finishing school now isn't it you've got that development center down there with the live shows with the really green guys on nxt as we see on tv is like the, is like the polish 
the master's degree. Yeah, exactly, exactly it. But on the on the subject of the original NXT show, which I thought the first season of that was pretty good actually, but who would have who would have bet that the last man standing from that group would be Heath Slater? Yeah, there you go. that's true actually. Yeah, yeah. They they could have done a better job of hiring people seven eight years ago, and that's why they're in the problem they're in right now. It took Triple H going to AJ Styles, Mojo, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, those type of guys established elsewhere. Not really WWE guys, and that's what they're that's what they've done to fill out their roster, which is good. But like we all kind of say, AJ Styles should have been there ten years ago. Everyone knows that, but they didn't even look at him. So just it's their own fault that they kind of avoided people, but now they're finally getting it right. And um, I don't know the the thing with NXT. I guess we'll wrap up on NXT soon, but. Um, with Nakamura, like a guy like him, I would have put him on the main roster last summer, like SummerSlam last year, because I mean he had the match of the year, his first match in the company in NXT with Sami Zayn last year, my match of the yeah. year. And well, did he really need uh, a year and you know over a year in NXT? Like he should have been on the WrestleMania card. The guy's 37 years old. Like Finn Balor should have been on the WrestleMania card. He was healthy a month before. Like they should think about the future bit. Look at the WrestleMania card and how many guys aren't even on the show now. It's just I don't know. They they did it all wrong. They've done a lot of things wrong in terms of when they use their NXT stars because they're not putting them on WrestleMania enough. They're not featuring them enough. So it, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of things they're not doing right too. I, and, I, and I think that's a fair point, specifically with Nakamura. You're dead right. He, 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 I think it was the right thing to do to start him on NXT, but he certainly didn't need a year there. SummerSlam, like you say, would have been a perfect place to bring him up. Better late than never, as they say, and uh, we are in a situation, as I say, where the, uh, the upcoming big matches, and uh, they are pretty big matches, I would argue, on the, uh, the next couple of pay-per-views, are absolutely chock-full of some of the talent that we've been uh, referring to um, some of them have uh, been international stars and have, you know, would have been, have been able to come straight into the main roster probably with fair, fair ease, but they've uh, gone through the NXT uh, learning process. Um, but others have been made and tweaked and changed there. And let's let's read out the five names if you're not already familiar. I'm sure you are. But uh, in the Fatal Five way this weekend, where the winner gets to face Brock Lesnar, um, apparently at the uh, wonderfully named Great Balls of Fire pay per view. I'm looking forward to Paul Heyman ah. having some fun I'm with so that with his promos. It's, it still feels like a, a big rib on all of us that they're going to change the name of that. Maybe there'll be a, a wonderful reason. But the Fatal Five way, the list of names uh, that I have here is Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt and Samoa Joe. All have been uh, in NXT. Um, Bray Wyatt is a great example of a gimmick being tried out in NXT uh, and being brought up and working. Roman Reigns is a good example of someone that had very little wrestling experience before being brought through the NXT, NXT system and coming through that way. Seth Rollins, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe obviously have worked all over the world in all sorts of companies and uh, very respected talents. Um, you've got five very capable guys in there. Um, you've got five, I think, quite differing styles, differing characters. Um, I don't know how they're going to all shine in a five-way match. It feels like just... We don't really know who's going to be the next guy. We don't really know what matches to do. Let's throw all five of them out and have some fun with it. But at the same time, I think it makes it quite intriguing. I really don't know where they're going to go with this. So, as always, me and Paul will talk about the fact that we try and steer clear of any betting odds, because I'm sure that the betting odds for someone is about one to eight, and we'll give it away if you went and had a look at it. But 
it does feel to me like this is quite open. Um, I have a feeling where I think they may go. I have a feeling where I think I know where I would go. Um, but uh, let's go along the line. Um, we'll start with you, John, as the guest. What, first of all, are you, is it a match you're looking forward to? Is it the, you know, do you understand the booking of it? And then complete your uh, your answer with who you uh, who you think will win and who you would choose to win. Yeah, this is one of those like you got to give WWE a little a pass, I guess you could say, because Braun Strowman was going to face Roman Reigns at this pay per view, and he was probably going to win, and then he was going to face Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. But now Les, uh, Strowman's got the elbow injury. He's out for two months. They said six. That's bullshit. It's really two. Um, he, he's going to face Lesnar at SummerSlam. That's the plan, apparently. So um, does it really matter who wins? Because whoever wins is going to lose to Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. So I, I think Roman Reigns has a 0% chance to win, which is rare for him. But he's not going to get pinned. So, you know, they protect him that way. So I think it's, it's probably uh, Finn Balor or Seth Rollins. And... And then at the next pay-per-view, they'll kind of pair off the other guys after. So uh, I'm leaning toward Finn Balor just because um, the story where he never lost the title last summer because he had the shoulder surgery, so he hasn't got a title match since. So if he wins this and he earns it, and then everyone can be like, oh, it's his destiny to get the title back, and then he has to beat Brock Lesnar, I don't think he will. But, I mean, if they have a competitive match where Brock actually decides to sell then it could be really good because, you know, Finn Balor, CM Punk, similar styles. Lesnar had a great match with him a few years ago at SummerSlam, so the possibilities there for them to have a good match. So uh, Seth Rollins is another name. I honestly think all five guys are going to face Lesnar at some point on a pay-per-view uh, between now and WrestleMania, and Roman's at the end of it at WrestleMania next year. So um, whoever doesn't face him now, we'll probably get him on another one because he's going to work more pay-per-views this year. Um, he just hasn't worked since WrestleMania. Lesnar, I mean. So, um, as for the match, like I think they're going to get 25 to 30 minutes. They're going to get a lot of time. Uh, it's extreme rules, so all the weapons are allowed. So they'll be able to, you know, have an exciting match. I think the fans will like it. How about you, Paul? Um, well, at the risk of um, sounding like a broken record, um, I pretty much agree with what John said. I think it comes down to um, Rollins and Balor. And I, too, am leaning towards Balor for a couple of reasons. One, because of what John said about the fact that he still hasn't had that title rematch, so it's a good story to have. Um, two, it was very telling that a couple of weeks ago on Raw, Heyman singled him out for the treatment, mm. um, you know, saying, you know, I'm very much intrigued to see you against uh, Brock Lesnar. Um, and thirdly, uh, the cynic in me and the businessman in me says, we haven't seen that demon for a long time. And they want to sell some masks, and they want to sell some T-shirts. So they need that demon out again, and they need the demon against the beast. What a story to tell that is. So I think it's going to be Finn Balor. And I also agree with John that I think we're going to see all five of these guys working working with uh, Brock in the next year two on pay-per-view. Uh, so yeah, Balor's my pick. I've got a bit of an amalgamation of both of your answers. Um, I sort of don't want it to be Balor, because I don't necessarily want a, quite a small pay-per-view that feels a bit of an afterthought him just to get fed because I I think this needs to be we haven't seen Lesnar for a little while um, you know obviously we saw him at Wrestlemania but other than that it's been the sort of the shaky Goldberg stuff I think Lesnar needs to kill someone um, so I know who I would have it be I'll get to that in just a second I don't want him to just come out and kill Balor and I think whoever wrestles Lesnar X is probably going to get annihilated so I fear for, for Balor if it is that there is a saving grace to it which is that you don't do the demon yet 
you do Balor versus Lesnar and he loses but then later on down the line you get to Balor versus Lesnar again and that's when he pulls out the demon he, he can't beat him once maybe even twice he can't beat him but the third time he goes I've got to go to the demon that could be interesting that could be where you do the demon versus the beast um, I, don't, I absolutely agree I don't think they'll go to Reigns they've got Reigns and Lesnar you know, surely he's going to be later, later down the line they're not just going to have Lesnar beat uh, Reigns I could see them going to, Bal- uh, going to Rollins I think they may feel that Rollins has got enough that he can bounce back from a, a Lesnar match, but then they have gone to it before. Um, he, here's what I would love to see. I would love to see... I, if it was me booking, if you were giving me the book today, I would book Bray Wyatt to win. Um, and they may do it by any manner of means in some sort of you know, shenanigans that someone gets distracted. To me, heels win multi-man matches. They, they're sneaky and they capitalise on someone else's good work. That's how you book a multi-man match. And it, he is someone you can have Brock annihilate because Wyatt is a character heel that can build his way back up again. We've had lots of defeats for, for Wyatt. You can even tell a story around Wyatt that he keeps on getting to the big match, but when he gets to Cena, when he gets to Undertaker, when he gets to Lesnar, when he gets to whoever, he loses. And that could be the story you tell. And maybe there's a way of him, I think, even becoming a babyface and telling a story where he can get a big win. Um... I would also love to see Wyatt and, Le- and and Heyman. There's just a real. Can you imagine those two going back and forth and what you know what they could craft? That's absolutely what I would do. Um, I don't think they will, but they could because here's the thing: if we are talking Strowman and Lesnar, who's the babyface? Because they still think that Strowman is a huge mega heel, even though he's being cheered for beating up Roman Reigns. So they may want to test the waters with seeing about Lesnar being a babyface again. And if they go Lesnar versus Wyatt, Lesnar's going to get cheered. So that could be interesting. On a pure match level, I'd love to see Joe versus um, versus Brock and just see how they do it. I think it could be just be so fascinating, so hard hitting. I just think it'd be a great spectacle. And it doesn't hurt Joe massively to lose Brock Lesnar because they're never going to go to the end of the earth and push Joe as the biggest star in the company. So if it's me, I'm going with either Wyatt or Joe and just using it as a good, big guy, hard-hitting, you know, smash-mouth kind of contest for, for Lesnar. If I'm putting money on it, I think I agree with you, boys. I think that, that Bala feels like the, the short story and I'm not crazy about it. But you, both of you said about, about Bala, but starting with you, John, is that you saying what you think they would do or is that what you would do as well? I mean, what I would do is turn Roman Reigns heel two years ago, and then the whole course of the company would be different right now. But <laughs> without without the use of any DeLoreans, what would you do? But it's like when you look at the business model, the way the business is, they have no good guys that are likable at this point. Like Finn Balor, maybe is a good face, but he doesn't really do much to like, you know, like his music's cool and stuff. Seth Rollins doesn't play the fans at all. I love Seth Rollins. I think he's an incredible performer, but what does he do that's a face? Roman Reigns doesn't play the fans at all. Like, That's the biggest problem in the company. They don't have people to cheer for, so nobody's tuning in. People are tuning out. And and then, like, Braun Strowman gets bigger reactions than a lot of guys, and he's a heel and getting cheered because he's beating up Roman Reigns. It's like, what is going on? So, um, there's, so yeah, what I would do, I, I wouldn't do a five-way match because I think it just... Like you said earlier, just throwing them together because they don't know what else to do. So what are they planning? They're, they have these events. They should plan them out months in advance. They shouldn't say, oh, well, we know these two guys are going to face at SummerSlam. Let's just get through the two before this. And it's like, you know, 
I guess in the in the world where WWE Network exists, they don't have to do huge main events, and they can put Jinder Mahal as a WWE champion because they don't have to sell fifty dollars shows anymore. But um, it's frustrating. So yeah, what I would do, like I I would do the Balor thing just because I like the story of him getting a title shot because he hasn't got a rematch. So there's a lot of people complaining to me about that all the time. They don't shut up about it. Like Finn Balor should just get a title shot because he he never lost it. I'm like, well. It does make sense, and if people are bitching about it, then might as well do it. And but if if you do Seth, if you do Bray, if you do Joe, then that's fine too. I don't really mind. Like I said, I think all of them are going to be lined up for Lesnar at, at some point in the next year. So uh, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, this is very quick. We won't have a discussion about it. I'll take a slight issue with the thing of um, Seth not playing to the crowd. I'm not saying he does it brilliantly, but I think since WrestleMania they've tried to have Seth say you know we did it not I did it against Triple H we did it and you guys have my back and I think he, they've certainly tried whether they've been successful or not is another matter um, Paul same question to you as I asked John a, a minute or two ago um, you you said Balor was where you were thinking about going is that is that head heart a bit of both what's, what's your take uh, both really um, I think it's the right match to have at the right time I would be tempted with um, Rollins as well and I'd also be tempted with Joe probably the wrong time for Joe because if you put him up against Lesnar he's going to get some modicum of cheers um, people will just love the two big bastards facing into each other so I'd probably save that for further down the line yeah. so yeah I think the company's pretty much got it spot on with this one I think it's going to be Balor and I think it should be Balor okay well I'm still going to I'm still going to hold out for my uh my Bray Wyatt pick, but we'll um, we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see how we go. I'm I'm afraid, I'm afraid reluctantly, and I've I've really held out on this. I think Bray Wyatt is uh, unless he gets a massive reset, he's a busted flush. I don't want to see him anywhere close to a main event. Does anyone does anyone like watching uh, think anybody who wins this match is going to beat Lesnar at the next pay per view? No, this is, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that's my point. That's my exact point. Yeah. Is that. I think you harm any one of the other four, ever so slightly, not massively, because it's no shame losing to Lesnar, but I think Lesnar is an attraction on his own. I would much rather see them have a reason to go, let's say, Balor versus Rollins at the, at the Great Balls of Fire. You know, that you, you, could, break, you could break the other, the other four up. You could go Balor versus Rollins and Reigns versus Wyatt in, or for whatever, whatever combination of those four, you can do two matches and make it quite entertaining. In fact, they'll probably, in saying all that, they're going to go Wyatt and Balor, aren't they? Because they've been teasing that one, so that's probably where they're going to go with that. Um, but you could find any manner of means of going with the other ones. But then, you know, you, you, find, you find a way of doing the, uh, the Lesnar thing with, with the other guy, and actually Lesnar's probably the attraction as opposed to the, the match itself. But anyway, we'll, uh, we will see how we go. And before we move on to... Um, Money in the Bank, which is a couple of weeks away, but um, uh, the announcement has been fairly recent about who's going to be in the match, and since we're talking multi-man matches, it feels like a, a good time to, to have a little look at it. Um, but before we get on to that one, uh, only fair, as our guest, John, if you'd like to um, make mention of, uh, if people are uh, in, in, interested in your your views and so forth, where can they find um, uh, more of your opinions and writings and uh, musings? Alright, uh, TJRWrestling.net's the website. I do Raw, SmackDown, every pay-per-view, uh, WWE pay-per-view. Um, columns, uh, reaction to table or three shows, table for three shows, anything that's, a lot of the stuff that's WWE related, I'll write about it. Um, Paul knows I've been doing it for 
on and off for about 17, 18 years. Um, for the last eight years, it's been a full-time kind of thing. I just did celebrated eight years of, of the Raw review. I think I missed one in eight years, so it's pretty good, even when it was a bad show. And it's currently not very good. So, um, And then uh, Twitter, at John Report, Facebook, search John Canton. There's about 4,000 people on there. Uh, TGR Wrestling is the website. Uh, the Facebook uh, page that we just sent out the links to all the articles on there. Um, I also write for the comeback.com, uh, three columns a week for them about wrestling. So that's pretty much my keeps me busy, man. It, it's full time work and I enjoy it. And then uh, Twitter at John Report, I mentioned that I think I tweet a lot. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You try to make jokes and people take things too seriously because it's wrestling fans and you know. <laughs> You just gotta take things lighthearted. It's only wrestling people. Look at look at your government in, in England. Look at the U.S. government. Everything's all messed up in the world. We gotta laugh at pro wrestling. So that's what I. That's the way I look at it. Well, it's because we've got a full figure head, John. We'll we'll get there eventually. When when the Rock becomes the president of the United States of America, then I'm emigrating. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, just to, just before to uh, answer the money in the bank. Uh, to, to follow up what John said, like I've been reading John's writing since 2000, so probably not long after he started. And you know, for me, he was the first internet writer I ever read, and I've enjoyed his stuff all that all that time, long before we became friends. And uh, you know, if you want to know, I, I, look, let's say the vast majority of people listening to this probably already know who you are, anyway, John. But if you, by any reason you don't, you know, if you want to read quality recaps and columns and everything WWE related, TJRWrestling is the place to go in my opinion for consistency for entertainment um, and I think your numbers um, back that up mate I think it's I think it's a fantastic piece of work you've done over the last dec- nearly decade there, I think it's um, a fantastic achievement and well oh, deserved You're a good promoter my friend, thank you <laughs> Well we'll find out how good a promoter he is in, uh, in July when we get all the numbers for the uh the Bruce Pritchard tour which we will talk about after the next link but um, I will say that um, you know two things in reaction to that one the point you just made there hey John our, our motto at Hooked on Wrestling is it's wrestling enjoy it so uh, you're definitely on the same uh, wavelength as us there and secondly to the, to the listener um, me and Paul are 100% totally in control of this podcast um, so therefore no one gets on unless we want them to um, so it's not the people doing the rounds and plugging their latest show that get on here it is people what we like and are friends with and want to be on here so if we thought John was no good we wouldn't have him on the show so we can uh, it is not us being nice to the guests by plugging their wares it's the opposite way around we wouldn't have him on if he wasn't very very good which he is and prolific as well this is the point there are some people out there that are good but you only hear from once in a blue moon you will find new stuff at, uh, at tjrwrestling.net all the time and don't forget it's a .net and not a .com um, but I, can... write, I write about sorry just quick I write about 20,000 words a week pay-per-view weeks maybe 30,000 and I still get people complaining that I don't do enough so it's <laughs> nice that people care sometimes but most of them don't complain you don't hear from them but once in a while it's like why don't you write about Impact or Ring of Honor I'm like I just want to relax sometimes you know so um, that's all. It is. I always think it's so funny. I mean, as as a as a writer, it's like when you go back to when you know 
cast your mind way back to when we were at school and you would have a 1500 word essay or something and think oh man alive this is going to take forever and it's like, Hubble regularly write five or six thousand words a day now yeah. <laughs> it's like all those years when you thought 2000 words a 3000 word dissertation yeah. that will take forever and it's like it will take me a morning these days um, anyway let's get back uh, onto, um, onto the current wrestling front or at least the, uh, the near future let's talk about money in the bank um, which is upcoming um it is uh, a couple of weeks away, I think, but it's the um, the main Money in the Bank ladder match that we're going to be talking about. Um, I think for, um, for for next week, Paul, I think I'd, I'd like to um, at some point have a chat about the concept of having a women's match on there. That's an interesting development this year, one which I'm very much behind, but uh, that's, a, that's a conversation for um, the next couple of weeks. But for now, the men's Money in the Bank match, here are the runners and riders as we stand. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, Baron Corbin... Dolph Ziggler and Shinsuke Nakamura. That is a pretty stacked lineup uh, for the Money in the Bank um, ladder match. There. Um, first of all, I'm going to ask you, John, about the uh, the concept of the uh, the Money in the Bank, which has been around a long time now. Started at uh, WrestleMania way back when. Um, Twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah, Two thousand five. Yeah. Well over a decade now. We've had that. We've had the WrestleMania version of it. We've had the the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which has been the spin-off and been quite a successful one, I think. Um, yeah. uh, is it overplayed, Money in the Bank? Is, it, is, is there too much of it? Will it be improved this year because the Money in the Bank is only going to exist on one brand? Admittedly, it's going to be a male and a female thing, but rather than having someone carrying around a Raw title shot and a SmackDown title shot, at least there's only going to be one, it seems. Uh, but where do you stand on the, uh, on the Money in the Bank? Is it a played-out concept? Oh no, I love it. I think it's better than the Royal Rumble. I think the Royal Rumble's uh, very overrated in terms of... I think the last time I talked to you guys was in January before the Royal Rumble. And I was saying to you back then, and I was like, it doesn't really matter who wins because they're probably not going to be an event. And that, that exactly would happen, right? Randy Orton won, nobody really cared. And, you know, I, with Money in the Bank, there's a lot of excitement, like who's going to win? And then as soon as the guy wins it, everyone's going to be like, is he going to cash in this week? Is he going to cash in next week? Is he going to cash in SummerSlam? Is he going to say, I'm going to cash in at WrestleMania? Like, no one's ever done that. Like, so, um, you know what I mean? Like, he wins it and says, I'm going to hold it until WrestleMania. I'm going to have a match with the champion at that show. Like, do that or something, you know? I think Money in the Bank's amazing. I, I think it's the best thing they've come up with in the last 25, 30 years, uh, including Hell is Cell, Elimination Chamber, everything else. Because... The concept is just, it really works. It's an exciting thing. Look, I've watched every Money in the Bank catch in, in the last year because I wrote a column about it. And every time it happens, man, everyone's going crazy, even if it's a heel. Even when Sheamus did it a couple of years ago, people were cheering. Like, and he got he had no heat at that time. So everyone just loves it because it's an exciting thing. And guys try to cash in. And, you know, poor Damien Sandow didn't, didn't get the title after he cashed in on John Cena. He's the only one, and John Cena when he had it. But, you know, every other time, it's the history has shown that it's a big deal. And I think this pay-per-view is really good. And I think they made a mistake by making only SmackDown because I think if Raw had it, it would help Raw. And Raw needs something exciting at this point because they don't have anything exciting. So, um, you know what I think they should have done in the storyline? They should have had um, SmackDown announces the pay-per-view and Raw says, you know what, we're going to have our own Money in the Bank match at Extreme Rules. And that way they get the, the Money in the Bank first and then it's kind of a, a feud between the shows, right? But... Um, that way there's a briefcase on both shows and I think that would work and I like the women's concept I think they should have done that 10 years ago 
Um, they should have done a women's Royal Rumble before. There's, you know, why not? There's, there's plenty of reason to do it. So I'm glad they're doing it. And I'm a huge Money in the Bank fan. And uh, we're not talking about the guys right now, but I love this lineup. I think this is arguably the best lineup they've ever had um, in terms of talent and reasons for guys to win. I think it's very believable that any of them can win. I don't think Ziggler win, wins, but the other five, there's a legit shot, I think. So I'm excited about it, man. Okay, I'm going to respond to a couple of points in that one, and then I'm going to throw to you, Paul, to be a bit of a, an adjudicator, because I disagree with some of those points there. First and foremost, um, the I think the women's, in terms of the idea of the women having their own uh, Royal Rumble match, Money in the Bank match, I agree it's well overdue. However, there are times over the last 10 or 15 years where you could have tried it and had nowhere near the talent. Now I yeah. think you do, and I think there are there are people that can hold their end up to have a believable um, match like this. I, my only slight fear for the women's match is it might be a bit over choreographed. Sometimes even the women's title matches can look a bit more like a dance than a fight, and I worry that yeah. they're a little bit over too too over choreographed, and that may happen in the uh, in the in the ladder match. We'll see. Um, but I'll set out to that one. Secondly, I'm really really happy it's only on one brand because I as you probably gathered by the to- tone of my question I, I'm not saying I think it's totally played out but I think it's been I think it's it doesn't feel as special I think there's, there's some problems with the concept uh, but to only have it on one person having the belt because to me it's more about more than the match the match is going to be fun this weekend but once the match is gone it's gone but the the briefcase can be used to help someone in, in such a big way you know Ziggler's in this I think Ziggler's probably the one that benefit the most from having it for a long time I can still picture you know him carrying it around whenever I hear his music you know it mm. had something about it um, so I'm really happy it's not on both brands and as we'll come to when we get into the uh, the chat about who's going to win um, an issue I have is always the fact that you alluded to you know Seamus who had no heat getting cheers when he cashed it in well to, to me that's kind of you know for you, as, a, as a, a saying that Seamus would like me to say which is it's a bit arse about face which means that you don't want to be cheering him you want to be booing the fact that he's a, a, a dastardly coward you know cashing in rather than having a, a great match and actually people pop for the the fact that they are there for a big moment as opposed to the you know the, the realism of the situation which now you know sadly sort of evaporated um, Paul me and John have put up a bit of a kind of I'm not against money in the bank, by the way. I think it's fun. I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm not uh, quite so high on it. But uh, where do you fall on some of those topics? I fall more towards John's side, um, but to be honest, somewhere in the middle. You know, I still love it as a concept, but it's lost a lot of the freshness that it used to have. Yeah, you know, obviously we all remember that first time that Edge won it, which was a great match, great great use of the briefcase then an unbelievable moment in cashing in really at the time completely unique um, and I, I loved it and it was it stayed fresh for a good long time the concept really held up but you know now they're, they're forced with finding new scenarios and new things to up the ante and give us something we've not seen before and it's hard like you know what I don't want to see is it just become a crutch for a heel to have that sort of sort of Damocles over the champion, I think that's pretty pretty boring to be honest. And depending on the character, it can work still, but um, but it's just not it's not what it was because the anticipation is not quite there for that cashing. That said, the the match itself is always um, is pretty much always very good. Um, normally nice. I like that they've gone back down to six guys for this one rather than the seven and eight they've been having um, in recent years. Um, and I think it all it all stems whether they can find a unique and interesting situation for the cash in. 
if it just comes out at the end of an episode of SmackDown and and just take put, picked up the scraps after a victory, then I'm not really interested. But if they can give me something that's fresh and new and exciting, then game on. I like it. But you know, we don't we won't know what that is until it actually happens. Obviously, the best one in recent times, indisputably, is Seth Rollins cashing at WrestleMania. Um, that is other than the original one. I think that's the very best. Um, and if we can get anything half as good as that, then it, it's a big thumbs up. I actually agree with what you're saying there, although I, uh, I'm going to pick you up on your continued use of the word indisputably, because if we don't have dispute on this program, then what do we have? But um, <laughs> in, that, in that particular respect, I think you are right. And I think that my, uh, my concern over the, the, the having the right person win it um, and having the, the heel nature of the cash in, uh, I think is um, superseded by something like a, a Seth Rollins doing a WrestleMania, because... For a start, that fit his character so perfectly, and let's face it, it was a quote-unquote WrestleMania moment. Um, it was the right time. It was against the right individuals. It was that was perfect. That was the best one. Um, and they've done some others with some heels. And you're right, Edge going back all that far, the ultimate opportunist. That was his gimmick, and, and it kind of worked. I have a real issue when it's a, a baby face. You know, CM Punk. You know, at least the second time, sort of like, um, you know. It, it just felt too much like a, you're better than this, you know. Daniel Bryan as well. You're like, you're better than this. You can you can be a you can be a more of a hero about it. But um, um, let's go to you, John, and uh, get uh, some um, sort of half a prediction and half a speculation. What would you, what would you like to see, and what do you think will happen? Uh, what I think will happen, I'll, I'll do that part first. Um, I think Baron Corbin's going to win because he's basically losing every match, which is the WWE way of booking somebody to win money in the bank. Um, he lost to Randy Orton recently. He lost to Sami Zayn uh, twice now. Um, he's lost tag matches and stuff like that. So they're kind of trying to not... Uh, they're doing the thing where the guy doesn't have momentum and then he kind of wins it and then they, they'll they BS afterwards and say, oh, he's on a roll and stuff, right? So uh, I think Baron Corbin's a guy that they see as kind of a heel of the future uh, on the SmackDown brand. Maybe he'll be in Raw next year. But, I mean, for now, he's a guy that they want to push. So um, they might look at the others and be like, well, Nakamura, we could put him in the main event next year. Maybe he wins the Royal Rumble or something. Uh, Kevin Owens, the art is a title. They don't need to do it. Um, AJ Styles has already been a WWE champion. We could put him in a title picture anytime. He doesn't really need it. Sami Zayn, I don't think he like they like him as much as I like him. Like, if it was me, I would put it on Zayn. So that's the second part of the answer. I would put it on Zayn because I think that kind of an underdog thing, kind of a, having a face holding it is kind of exciting and stuff. And if he doesn't cash in until next year, that'd be awesome. But uh, I, I really think Corbin's going. I, I think Owens would be a good choice because a lot of people don't expect it because he's holding a title right now. But if he's holding a title and he's got a, uh, the briefcase, his ego would be a huge. His promos would be really interesting. And I think Owens is a great performer. But... They already had him in the main event for a while on Raw, so I think I just have a feeling they're going to go with Corbin. But if it was me, I would pick Zane. And I didn't even mention Ziggler because I don't think he has a chance. But he's there to because he's got credibility in Money in the Bank because he's won it before. He's been in six of them, I believe they said. So um, he's he's it's good that Ziggler's there, but I don't think he's going to win. So I'm picking Corbin. I would like to be Zane though. How about you, Paul? Um. Again, fairly similar. Um, I'm picking Corbin for the exact same reasons. They telegraphed it all the way out you know, with the losses that he's had, and that's always the pattern going into Money in the Bank. They do want to push the guy. Um, it would kind of fit his character to, to have that sort of that 
thing that has he has that little bit of power um, over the faces and over the champion um, so I, I think it's Corbin if it was me um, John mentioned him but I don't think he really committed to it um, for me I, would, I wouldn't hesitate that briefcase would be going to Kevin Owens um, I think it would absolutely make up for a little bit of momentum that he's lost uh, in a fairly mundane end to his title run um, but more importantly I just think it fits his character so well I think he could, he could hold that briefcase and really really ratchet it up and really piss people off and turn him into a bigger heel and then when he cashed it in you know my dream scenario on his cash in would be you'd have a few months to play this out maybe you've got Jinder as champion for a few more months you have some sort of match where the title shot number one contendership on a B-level pay-per-view goes to Sami Zayn. Um, Sami Zayn wins the title, and within seconds, Kevin Owens comes out and takes it off him. Oh, well, I quite like that. I quite like that as a... Um, yeah. As a what a bastard, horrible Kevin Owens, nasty piece of work. Get, they did that with Daniel Bryan in... Yeah, they did that with Daniel Bryan in SummerSlam 2013. But yeah, it would work, for sure. Yeah, they did. People that. would kill him. People would want to rip his head off. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we need with Owens right now I think the journey and the end result with Owens is, would be incredible don't mind that at all um, uh, I, I partially share your, your thoughts on Corbin um, but it's um, you know, can we have two different you know, issues in the month of June where we're not quite sure if Corbin's going to win um, I knew uh, you were going to win I think if uh, do you think if would WWE change their booking if Labour go, uh, prevail next Thursday? Who knows? Um, but um, I think Baron Corbin is a very strong choice. I think it's uh, the logic that you guys are both presenting there. I think is um, uh, I think is strong. Um, my thought on it is just, just maybe, just maybe they have thawed on him. It's not just the. Um, the, the the usual booking towards money in the bank. I look towards the fact that you know he and uh, he and Ambrose you know didn't even get on WrestleMania, and it's like and where's Ambrose right now? It's yeah. like I know he's doing something with the Miz, but it's mm, you know he's not in the Fatal Five way, is he? They don't see Ambrose as being one of the top five on Raw, and you know Am- wasn't Ambrose put over Corbin? And it's so I sort of feel I think maybe they have cooled on him a little bit. So, uh, listen, I don't dismiss either of your um, thoughts because it makes logical sense. But the alternative view is that maybe they have cooled. Of course, the answer to me there is, well, if they've cooled, why are they putting him in the match then? Um, so, you know, I think, he's a, I think he's a solid choice. I certainly wouldn't talk anyone out of him. Um, I, think, I think they may well go with... I think that the person they may go with and the person that I kind of would go with is one in the same, which is Sami Zayn. Um, it's not always a guarantee, as JBL always shouts about, that um, uh, the winner of the Money in the Bank is almost guaranteed to be the champion. Uh, as you mentioned previously there, John, Damien Sandow, case in point. Um, but there's, there's lots of ways you can look at this. One is that if they go down the route that they have gone down, which is that it doesn't really matter if baby faces um, you know, just steal a win, then if they're ever going to do it with anyone, it kind of works with Sami Zayn's sort of slightly paranoid character I could absolutely see it playing into him carrying it around, should I do it tonight, should I not you know, he can't really make his mind up you could also do, which is what I would like to see done much more often with the briefcase, which is babyfaces commit 
to using the title shot for later down the line. It's best. It was best done with Rob Van Dam when he said, "This is for me at the uh, at the one night stand." Um, Sami Zayn could say, as a you know a, a bit of a hero, "I'm going to put this on the line at the next pay per view, and I'm going to say that I'm challenging Randy Orton, and you know one on one at the next pay per view." And you do the the absolute you know epic match that Sami Zayn only just loses, and you so you can use the it doesn't even have to be the next pay-per-view, but at some point he cashes it in, you know, in a in a fair way. But says, you know, I'll try and stand up and be man on man, and just about loses. Because I think you can still elevate Zayn by because listen, they're never going to have him on top for two years. So the best you can hope for is that they make him the plucky second-tier babyface who occasionally yeah. wins an IC title. Um, so that might be the best way of, of raising him up a level, and I could see them doing that. Um, if it was me, I'd give it to Styles, and I would have Styles win this. As proof, I like big wrestlers winning big matches, and I would like Styles to win this and show that he's better than them. And then I would like Styles to walk on to, assuming that this match goes on, you know, second to last or third to last, um, mm. and then Styles comes out after the main event, which Randy Orton wins. Styles' music's play, so you think he's going to cash in, and he just stands at the top of the ramp or wherever, walks down and says, "Me and you, SummerSlam." If indeed that's the next, is that is, is that the next? Smackdown. No, there's a Battleground one in July too. Is there one um, in between? Okay, ma- ma- yeah, Battleground. Maybe he comes out at the um, the Smackdown then and says, you know, whoever the champion may be, you know, I'll re- I'll wrestle them at, at SummerSlam because I think it's the kind of thing that a noble babyface would say. I want to use this to fight yeah. for the title on a major pay per view, and AJ would be the best one to do that with. I would love to see that. I, I will also, by the way, while I'm while I'm waffling here, endorse the Kevin Owens stuff because you know Owens is the kind of character that would you know would suit it just so well. Because to me, the briefcase goes well with a cocky piece of work that carries it around and is not as tough as he thinks he is, but he's got this little extra insurance policy, and you hate him for it. So. You know, I would possibly, you know, like to see Owens do it from that perspective. But if I'm absolutely pushed, I'm I'm going AJ. If it was if it was me doing it. Yeah, your point about Corbin was fine. Like they didn't, they may have cooled on him because WrestleMania he didn't do much, and that was my complaint about WrestleMania. Like Baron Corbin and Braun Strowman are two guys that were, are supposed to be the future of the company in a lot of ways, right? And Braun didn't do anything in the Battle Royal except get eliminated early, and Baron Corbin lost in the kickoff show. So it's like. They didn't even build to the future at all using their biggest show of the year. And that's why the booking of the company is just very messed up right now. So, I don't know. It's hard to predict things sometimes with what they're doing. <laughs> that's actually quite a good retort to my doing down of your, your two Corbin ideas. Yeah, Strowman's the hardest push guy in the entire company before his injury. And you, you're right. Yeah. He did basically nothing at WrestleMania. So Like, where's the planning? Yeah. It kind of... Uh, well, planning aside, it just, it just shits on my theory of, of, uh, if they've called on someone because they wouldn't have used them at Mania because that uh, doesn't really uh, apply to Strowman. Um, uh, Paul, any, uh, any final thoughts on... Uh, on Money in the Bank before we start talking about uh, the hardcore legend. No, oh, mate. I think we've I think we've pretty much covered that match. We'll we'll get into the event itself in more detail in the coming weeks. Um, I think one thing I will add is that with the talent involved, this has the potential to be the greatest Money in the Bank match of all time. Yeah, yeah agreed. And John said before, you know, it's a, it's a very stacked lineup, and I think. Um, I'm always careful about you know superlatives such as greatest of all time and stuff purely because I generally can't remember all the other ones and yeah. I don't like to um, put something up against it because I recall many years ago I'm going to use a football analogy again but um, lots of people were telling me that, uh, that Ashley Cole was the best left back in the world and I would say to me okay give me two, three, four and five and they would rarely be able to name another left back 
in world football. And I said, okay, well, since you don't really know how good Gianluca Zambrotta is, stop telling me that Ashley Cole's better than him. Um, huh. But um, that's generally my point. So I won't like to say this is the best ever because I won't be able to remember earlier ones. But certainly... My, my, my favorite one is the first one. I've I done rankings of this before on the comeback.com last year, I believe. And it was Edge, Jericho, Shelton, Benjamin, Benoit, Christian, and Kane. Like, that lineup is very good back very then, strong, too. Very so. strong. Yeah, and the booking of that and Shelton Benjamin Zero stuff. The only problem is, like Paul said, it could be the best ever. The problem is we've seen about 17 of these Money in the Big matches before over the last, what, 12, 13 years. And it's hard to do anything new, right? So it's like, well, I've already seen that before. So what are they going to do that we haven't seen before? So that's the thing that, that makes it difficult. But the, the the booking of the match is basically you got to you know build believable climbs, teases, and all that kind of stuff. And... Guys got to be in the right spot. You got to make it, you know, the, sometimes when you see the guys climbing the ladder really, really slow because the guy's not in the right spot, it doesn't look good. But if you time it right and they're all good workers, except Corbin's probably not elite like the other five, but um, they're all good workers that I have confidence in it being really good. Part of me would like to say there that um, maybe the thing to do is to pair it back to not only just to six, but to four, even three, you know, different different people so that the suspense is in you know who's going to win as opposed to all the the big spots and so forth however at the same time ladder matches are matches that have me more with my heart in my mouth that guys aren't going to get hurt as opposed to who's going to win so I'm more than happy when there's six or even eight at the minute because it shares the burden and there aren't so many big bumps and uh, huge risks to, uh, to be taken uh, unnecessarily um, I'll just dive onto, um, onto Twitter quickly because I did um, just before I came on to uh, I came on to record this I did uh, throw it out really quickly and I've had uh, whole bunch of responses um just i just said give me two names who wins the fatal five way who wins the um money in the bank ladder match just to see if there was uh, any correlation and this is just taking the first four that i've got here um matt lockwood says bray and sammy francis says reigns and styles uh sipsy says shinsuke and seth dan greenwood says bala and corbin there's no consensus. That's that's what I'm interested in. That's actually, good, yeah. I'm really pleased about that because it's not, it's so obviously these two. You know, I've literally got, how, how many different names? You've got Wyatt, Zane, Reigns, Styles, Shinsuke, Corbin, Bala. I've got seven different names out of eight responses of the first four that I've read there. So I assume I, the guy that picked Reigns doesn't uh, think ahead very far. Well, <laughs> maybe not, or maybe he's just going on the theory that uh, if in Rowan doubt, usually wins. Yeah. I always used to say that if you're if you're struggling, if in doubt, Cena wins. Um, so yeah. that's usually the uh, usually the way of looking at it. Um, right. Um, what I will say, just uh, I meant to say previously about the uh, uh, the Extreme Rules lineup, which is if you take a look at the uh, the entire card so far, uh, I think they've got six matches that are um, are named so far, and I'm intrigued by the fact that four of those six matches. Um, have representation from the UK and Ireland. I'm very happy to see um, Finn Balor and to see um, Seamus and to see Neville and to see uh, one of my old favourites, Noam Dar, all featured in uh, in different matches. So four out of the six matches, UK and Ireland. And speaking of UK and Ireland, Paul, that is the uh, the official uh, the official tour for Bruce Pritchard coming up in July. If you didn't hear the news of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Bruce is coming to Ireland as well as coming to three venues here in England and goodness me the Ireland one is not far off of sold out already we've had uh, an incredible demand um, for Bruce's show in Dublin but Paul is going to walk you through the uh, the entire tour all the dates all the locations and tell you how you can get tickets aren't you Paul? We are I am indeed Rob nice segue there by the way very very effortless 
<laughs> not that you planned it or anything, but no, we've got we've we've got four dates uh, lined up. You know, we've, we're we're getting very close now. We're only about sort of six weeks away, and, and yeah, I could, you know, from just from the responses on social, you can feel that people's excitement is building. People are starting to ask questions on the content. We're starting to get messages off Bruce and Conrad. What about this? What about that? Um, we're really looking forward to next week when Bruce is going to start the interview rounds around the UK. So you should be hearing a lot more from him. Um, we might even have some news for you in the coming week or so. That could be quite interesting too. We might Possibly. be able to break that next week on the podcast. We will see. Um, but in terms of the venues, we've got we're starting kicking off the tour on uh, Saturday. The da, 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 uh, hold on, I've got my dates wrong. Oh, uh, this never happened. This never happened uh, with Sean Mooney. <laughs> Saturday the 13th of July go. in Dublin. We are at the Wool Shed Bar in Dublin. I've just been there today, actually, to check it out. Um, lovely venue. We're going to get uh, plenty of people in there. We've only got about 30 tickets left on sale, though. I think wow. it's a bit of a good move. To, yeah, yeah, because I knew it was a last-minute edition. I think we uh, we can pat ourselves on the back for that one. The Irish fans have really come through. Hey, no, no, uh, no, no. Ireland can pat themselves on the back. Never mind us. Well okay. done, Ireland, for coming out and supporting yeah. that. Bruce's spiritual yeah. home. They really have gone above and beyond the Call of Duty point. England to shame. No, no, I'm only kidding. Um, no, so we've got that on the Saturday, and then we head over to, to England. Um, we start off uh, our English leg in Birmingham on Sunday the 14th. And then we move to Manchester on the 15th for our show at the Comedy Store. Um, and then on the 16th, we will have our grand finale and our big goodbye to Bruce um, at the Walkabout on and Temple. Um, which will be the big last show. It's our spiritual home where we run our London SummerSlam party, uh, sorry, wrestling WWE parties in general. SummerSlam's on my mind. That's coming up in August. Um, and yeah, so we're all set. We've got tickets available, like I say, not too many for Ireland, but tickets available for all the different shows still. Um, you can get them at three different places. Hookedonevents.co.uk is our own website. We encourage you to go there. Failing that, you can get to... Um, uh, wegottickets.com or um, ringsideworld.co.uk they're for the English shows and um, we've got a separate ticket page for the Irish shows because obviously we're selling those in euros so that is billetto.ie that's b-i-l-l-e-t-t-o dot i-e that's b-i-l-l-e-t-t-o billetto.ie spend my day no it's not my gimmick sorry sorry Bruce didn't mean to do that Right. Didn't mean to do that gimmick infringement. Um, uh, the other thing is, I, w- I want to see video of Paul singing the with my baby tonight song with Bruce. I hope that happens. Do you know what? Uh, you can see video, but you can turn the audio down. Paul is an absolutely terrible singer. But Bruce is awesome at singing it. So. I know, but but Paul Benson is a lovely fella and one of my best friends in the entire world. But he's one of the worst singers I've ever heard. But that doesn't yeah. mean he's not going to try. Well, we'll see. <laughs> John. John, it's to the point where I would have to be giving refunds for um, for long-term <laughs> damage if yeah, I. Yeah, that's true. You got to think of that. That's yeah. I think I might have to leave it to the professionals. He, he is yeah. Paul is the money man here. He has to think of the bottom line. So it's um, I will be re- <laughs> restraining him. I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that there'll be a sing song after one of the shows somewhere, but uh, it will not be part of the content that our fine uh, supporters are paying for. Um, 
we did mention SummerSlam in there. Um, for those thinking about SummerSlam tickets, that's not all that far away. They'll be going on sale quite soon. Uh, we are just finalising uh, venues, etc., etc., including hosts. We might have a, an addition or two to the uh, the uh, the hosting lineup for uh, SummerSlam. Although those of you getting excited about London, <laughs> you're not getting rid of me that easily. Um, let's go on to our final section of the podcast today. Uh, the thing it's the thing I get most excited about when we're doing this podcast. Um, for those of you that uh, uh, are just tuning in after WrestleMania and you haven't uh, listened since Mania, where have you been? Um, but if you enjoyed the uh, the pre-Mania WrestleMania mixtape that we were doing, um, we have taken it on in a new format. What we're now doing, rather than going WrestleMania by WrestleMania, is we're going wrestler by wrestler. We've been discussing uh, some of the luminaries uh, of sports entertainment's past and discussing the best of times and the worst of times. Both Paul and I will put up a suggestion for a match of, uh, of our subject this week, and uh, John, standing in as uh, this week's judge, will decide which of the matches that we're choosing will go into a fictional time capsule for the ages that would represent that wrestler as they are best encounter. We'll also, while we're talking about the, that person's career, have a little look at some of the uh, the more negative por- point portions of their career, and that tends to be something that was inflicted on them as opposed to uh, something bad that they did, because uh, for anyone to get to a top level that we're talking about, they're not going to have been uh, all that terrible. Um, so far, we have talked about... Who have we done, Paul? We've... Uh, we've talked about uh, The Rock, we've talked about Edge, we've had Vader, we've had Lex Luger... Um, where did we um, where uh-huh. did we start? We start with Bret Hart, of course. How am I forgetting that? Goodness me, my favourite wrestler of all time. Um, just very quickly, um, when we were doing the uh, the Edge episode, John, um, I think we uh, we tried to get you on that week. I think there was a we couldn't quite work the schedules out. But uh, Paul said to me that you were you were a huge Edge fan and you might be uh, you know someone to speak to that week. Um, just w- what would you have gone with if we were to say to you um, you know what match would you put in for uh, for Edge? What would be uh, what would be one that you would go to? Yeah, well, quick, just my history with Edge. I saw him in the Indies with Christian when they were in uh, their wrestling. He's from uh, southern Ontario like I am, probably about an hour from where I grew up. And and I saw him in the Indies around 97 or so, wrestling in a high school gym with 50 people, that kind of thing. I was around 17 years old with my buddies, you know. And, oh, there's a wrestling show an hour away. Let's go. So that kind of thing. And then uh, Breakdown 98, I saw him against Owen Hart in Hamilton, Ontario, and Christian debuted that show. And nobody knew who Christian was. And me and my buddy stood up and like, that's Christian Cage. We know him from the Indies. Uh, but nobody really knew who he was. Everyone was <laughs> like, who's that guy? So I was there for that. And then his last match was WrestleMania 27. That's the first WrestleMania I've been to. Um, was Edge's last match at WrestleMania 27. We didn't know it was his last match, obviously. And then um, in September 2011, um, he, he did a tribute. There was a tribute thing for him, uh, his career in Toronto. Like the next time they did a show in Toronto, and there was like a 45-minute post-show tribute to him. So I was there for that. And then uh, I met him socially like uh, at the next WrestleMania at the WWE Hotel things to some friends of his that friends of mine that knew him and stuff so I got to shake his hand and talk to him that's when he started dating Beth actually um, around that time and I was like oh you're a couple oh nice good for you <laughs> so because um, I know Natalia so she's friends with Beth so that's kind of how I met everyone but um, yeah so it's really cool and he's one of those guys I admired uh, all those years and you know it sucks that he retired at 37 years old or whatever he was but you know, he's, he's happy now. He's got two kids and a wife. Beth Phoenix is an incredible woman, so good for him. Uh, for best match, I think um, 
the tag match at WrestleMania 17 is probably the best match. The only one that I would say five stars for him. He's got a lot that that are very good. Uh, the one with Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22, I loved it. Um, just just the whole story of, of he had a big chip on his shoulder because he you know he wanted to be in the main event that year and they took the title off him. They put it back on Cena and and so he was really motivated and stuff like that. And Foley was really motivated. And I don't know if you, one of you guys are going to talk about that match, but that was. Incredible match. That's one of the ones that stands out to me. Uh, Unforgiven 2006 against John Cena is a really good match. Uh, in Toronto, TLC is awesome. Um, and the Undertaker, Hell in a Cell match, uh, SummerSlam 2008 comes to mind also. So there's a lot of them. I've written a lot about them in my life. So I have a lot of respect for them. Yeah, I wish I was on for that one. But I, I love Mick Foley too. So uh, happy to discuss him. Well, I think, um, am I right in saying, Paul, my memory's shot these days, but I think the first two matches John mentioned there were the two that we picked, were they not? They... I think I think you're right. No, you pick... I, uh, no hang on. Um, not the TLC, we, but... The TLC match, and we yeah. picked the down match versus Eddie Guerrero. Oh, you, that's right, you were going to... We oh, the SmackDown match, yeah. That's yeah. right, it was the SmackDown Guerrero one, but we did, we did think, you thought about the... Um, uh, the Foley one, did you not? The TLC um, uh, prevailed yes. in the end. That was the match that got uh, voted in that week. That was my suggestion. That was the one that got voted in. But it's fitting that you bring up the uh, the match with Mick Foley because uh, today's subject is indeed Mick Foley. And we're going with any of the faces of Foley. So it, we could be picking from the oeuvre of Cactus Jack, from Dude Love, from Mankind, or indeed Mick Foley as his own build name. Um... We uh, maybe we'll go to the uh, the match with uh, Edge. Who knows? We didn't go go to it with the uh, the Edge suggestions, but uh, we are free to do so here. Here's part of the rules: is that um, if a match has been picked before, um, as in the uh, the uh, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin match from WrestleMania 13, uh, is in as Bret's match. Um, when we discuss Steve Austin, that match won't be picked again because it's kind of already in. But apart from that, things are fair game. And if things have been suggested but haven't gone through they can still be brought up again. So it could be that one of us uh, chooses that. Um, I always lose track of whose go it is to go first, but I think it is you first this week, Mr. Benson. It is indeed me. So, you know, last week we were doing Lex Luger, and I really struggled. Uh, Yeah, good Blame Vic. Blame, blame Sangar, we usually do. Oh, yeah, uh, this, is, this is the other thing to point out, is that um, you're going to suggest... Uh, yeah, our, know, our next our next topic, John. So we'll get thinking about that while we're talking about this. But yeah, it was uh, uh, Vikram Sangar that suggested Lex Luger, who we talked about last week. And I should I should point out, which I meant to do at the start of this um, topic, was uh, another thank you to uh, Jeremy Borash for being a very cool guest last week. And it was JB uh, that picked Mick Foley as this subject. Go ahead, Paul. So, guys, right, I won't go into details on various other matches because it's not fair ahead of your choice, but... Needless to say, Lex Luger was a real struggle for me last time out. It's the complete opposite this week. I'm a big Mick Foley fan, um, and I love the fact that he's got such a variety of different good matches as well, you know, in such different personas, in different federations. You know, there's a lot we can pick for. I think I know what you're going for. Uh, it'd certainly be on my shortlist as well. Um, but ultimately, I, I had to pick between two matches, and I literally, literally, I flipped a coin. Flipped a coin to decide which one um, got my vote um, and ultimately I have gone with a pretty safe bet actually um, I'm going with the Royal Rumble 2000 street fight um, oh you've got that 
I've gone. Uh, I've gone. Uh, I think it was. It was an incredible, incredible match in itself. It was a real, genuine, out and out, hardcore match, which still you hadn't seen that much of in the WWE to that point. Up to that point, you know, there'd been a lot of hardcore matches, but they'd mostly been of the sort of um, hardcore Holly, Big Boss Man, Al Snow variety, where hardcore consisted of whacking each other with a baking sheet or you know chucking someone in a river or something like that this one was very different this one was the return of cactus jack um the build to which was phenomenal the sell job that triple h put into being petrified of cactus jack after treating mick foley and, and mankind as a joke was absolutely outstanding um, yeah, put him over um as the most lethal wrestler in the company um we saw he, both guys really go at it we knew Mick was um, a proponent of hardcore style but for me this match absolutely cemented Triple H uh, as a main eventer um, 99 he obviously got elevated this match was the match that set him up permanently in that top tier and, and went on to birth what is possibly the greatest year a heel has ever had in WWE in, in 2000 so, so it was a great great build a great match which was unique hard hitting and brutal and then not only that but it had phenomenal consequences well it obviously led to the um, the uh, Hell in a Cell rematch at No Way Out but more importantly it led to absolutely making Triple H he was just instrumental in, the, in probably the best year WWE's ever had in 2000 so for me it's a very very difficult choice but I'm going with Cactus Jack versus Triple H at Royal Rumble 2000 Oh, see, I have a feeling that both of us had a, the same shortlist of three in our minds. I, I think you're probably right. And you've... I think you've... Oh, man, I may have gone for that. I'm really unsure between three matches. Um, um, that was one of them. Uh, and I'll present the one that I'm not going to choose first. I'm not going to choose which I came very, very close to choosing, which is... Um, Man, I think it might have been Cactus Jack actually Cactus Jack versus Randy Orton um, from let me see oh crikey Backlash Backlash 2004 Backlash 2004 yeah I yeah. remember a review of that one a couple of weeks ago it was I, awesome yeah it, it is a very 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 good match um, and here's the thing whichever one of the three that I end up choosing well I know what I'm going to choose now um, I'm always going to have a caveat one is that I am the antithesis of a hardcore wrestling fan I, in terms of the hardcore style. I don't like it. I don't care for it. Watching old matches back now where there are chair shots and stuff, I just wince and it makes me feel queasy. I will say that as much as you could possibly do, the Triple H versus Foley match that you've just mentioned, Paul, was relatively safe. I don't think there were too many really, really horrible blows it's a it's a it's a well done end of a feud hardcore match rather than just hardcore for the sake of it and so in its genre I abs I absolutely agree it's up there has been as good as there's ever been the Orton one is just one or two moments where you just go oh I think that's a bit too far and I I, I find it just it doesn't sit well with me so I'm not able to pick that in all good heart although it would be in my top three I think for uh, how you would judge Mick I'm going to go with because I like Mick so much as, as, an, as an individual, as a human being, and a lot of people would say Mick Foley's number one match, and they go, oh, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. 
and it's like that might be iconic and it might be you know something you associate Mick with but the man had a very very long career in wrestling which is not finished you know he can still you know add a lot to the business in the, in certain ways um, and to remember him as being the guy thrown off a cell I really think he's not doing justice to him so I would say I'm going to go with Mankind versus Shawn Michaels from In Your House Mind Games um, which I have here was September the 22nd 1996 I've made some notes um my caveat for this one is that I don't like the fact that it doesn't have a proper ending. You know, there's lots of people that get involved, starting I think with Vader, and then there's, you know, there's a there's a there's interference at the end, and it's not a, uh, it's not a, a clean, satisfying finish, which is usually something I would take away points for, such as Rock versus Stone Cold at WrestleMania 17. I always find it doesn't sit with me well. However, this was Mankind's, I think, coming out party as the guy can work. You know, people that had been watched WCW probably knew that Cactus Jack had something in him from his matches with Sting. But if you were only a WWF fan, which I pretty much was at the time, uh, hadn't really seen Cactus Jack, all Mankind was was this nutcase that had, don't get me wrong, compelling brawls with The Undertaker. And it was, I thought, brilliant to see someone wrestle Undertaker that got inside his head and was a legitimate threat rather than just King Kong Bundy and Giant Gonzalez and Yokozuna and... You know Kamala and just the, just the the big monster. I love the great psychological. Yeah, great, great Kali later on, but I love the psychological threat that that mankind brought to Taker and those their chemistry was fabulous right from the start. But when mankind got in the ring with with Sean that in your house, he kept up with the best in ring worker of that generation and had a really compelling 25 30 minute match, which like I say ended in in nothing clean, but. It's a genuinely brilliant wrestling match with two clashing styles. And, you know, perhaps if Mick hadn't have jumped off as many railings and tables and balconies and landed on his hip so many times as he did in ECW in Japan and wherever, you know, maybe Mick would have been fit enough to do a few more of these matches because, as he notes in one of his books, the, uh, the size of his bank balance and the size of his waistline seemed to go up, you know, together. So by the time he was the champ and, you know, one of the top men, he really wasn't in very good shape anymore. So um, Mick Foley, I don't think it's deniable, got over on his personality and his willingness to do anything to please the fans. But I do think there was a great wrestler in there and I would love to showcase that in our time capsule. So I am picking Shawn Michaels versus Mankind from In Your House Mind Games. So your choices, um, John, will be between um, Shawn Michaels versus Mankind and between Paul's choice of uh, Cactus Jack versus Triple H, you, we don't want you to decide just yet, but we'll throw over to you to maybe discuss another couple of matches that jump into your mind. Were you picking and putting something on the line? What have we, uh, what have we missed out, perhaps that you may have thrown in? Well, I think those are the those are two of the probably three or four that everyone would think of, and I think Mix mentioned his favorite matches before. He's written how many books? Three about his life, and he's done DVDs, and he's done podcasts, and he's done. There was an Edge and Christian podcast with Shawn Michaels and Mick Foley last week, and they talked about that match for an hour. And oh, I genuinely, and, genuinely didn't know. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know. <laughs> um, and 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 so the one thing that Foley said on that is that was the first time him and Sean ever had a match together, and they were just thrown together. There was no storyline. They did like one promo about each other, and that was it. And and Mick was just like he regrets that they never got to wrestle again because they just never really were booked together. But 
Uh, and Mick has talked about it many times, like he got in the best shape of his life at that point because he knew Shawn Michaels was the best athlete in company and going 30 minutes, you're going to be in shape. So Mick was incredible shape at that point. So, um, yeah, that match is special. I love the, the other one. But, yeah, so the other ones to mention, I think um, WrestleMania 22 with Edge, like I said, that storyline was really good. Edge was kind of uh, – people forget, like, the rematch was uh, – the reason I know it's fresh in my mind, I wrote about the top 33 WrestleMania matches uh, in March. Every day I posted one, so I wrote a whole column about this match and every match uh, in the top 33. And so the story was that uh, there was a uh, Cena-Edge title match on Raw, and Mick was the referee, and after uh, Cena won, Edge attacked him and stuff. So that led to the storyline where they needed something for Edge to do, and Mick was motivated to do it, and... So they had the hardcore match, and that was incredible. And uh, everyone remembers the ending of that match where uh, Mick's standing on the apron, Lita uh, lights the table on fire, and Edge just spear through the table. It's one of the best images in history of WWE. Uh, and thankfully, they were all okay. So, And Foley's told the story that when he when he got to the back, he called his wife, and she asked if Edge was okay. So <laughs> that was funny. Um, and then the, the Mick Foley and, and Randy Orton match is similar to the Edge match. It was two years earlier, a younger guy kind of on the rise at this point. And Randy Orton was 24. I remember going to that match thinking, like, is he going to be good enough? Because we haven't seen him wrestle that much. Like, he was only in the company for a couple of years, didn't really have long matches. And he really busted his ass. And he was, like, he wasn't wearing protection, like, either. Like, he was taking the crazy bumps and, and going on the thumbtacks and stuff. And he hasn't done many matches like that since Randy Orton. But... He really proved himself to a lot of people, and it, it didn't shock me that four months later he was a world champion. So I think Foley was the guy that elevated those guys like Randy Orton and, and Edge at that point in their careers, and that's something uh, to be said about uh, Foley. So those two really stand out. Um, uh, the Steve Austin match at Over the Edge in 2000, I mean, 98, I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, he was uh, Dude as, Love. As dude Love, yeah. Yeah. He was Dude Love, and then Vince is the referee, and then Pat Patterson and Joe Briscoe at ringside. There's a lot of hijinks and stuff, and um, it's just really good match, uh, really physical and, and hard hitting and stuff. So, um, but I think the the two you guys mentioned are probably those two, and the Edge and Order ones are probably the top four in whatever order people want. I, and then the the No Way Out match with Triple H was also really good. Allen and Cell. That was not as good as the the first match, but it was still really good. I think with someone like um, with someone like Mick, I mean, in this particular uh, feature, in our particular feature, we you know we're we're talking about matches, but I think if we're going to talk about Mick Foley's career, I think we'd be remiss to um, to not talk about some of the better um, sort of promos that that Mick's done, or you know, sort of spoken word, you know, elements to his career. And people will often talk to some about the uh, the ECW, um, you know, sort of um, the anti-hardcore stuff and various different things where he found his voice in. In uh, in ECW, but um, I would say that you know some of the things that where he suddenly turned serious, like those things where he could be kind of the, the yeah. Triple H would call him sort of like Muppet Mick Foley, but when he he suddenly went and one of my favourite ever ones um, is in the build-up to that 2000 match where I think it was on SmackDown where Triple H was basically gloating over the fact that he's got the beating of of mankind or Mick Foley or whatever, and and mankind I think it is admits that Triple H is too good for him but he's found someone else and I think you know the guy and he takes his mask off and he takes off his battered shirt and he's got the 
the Cactus Jack shirt underneath and Triple H's selling of that is one of the greatest things I've ever seen because Triple H sold that like he'd seen the scariest monster and I actually thought of it earlier on tonight when we were talking about Finn Balor and I just thought you know is Finn Balor going to the demon a little bit like Mick Foley going to Cactus Jack you know you have to go to that place and it's like it's notable that Mick Foley did not wrestle all that many matches as Cactus Jack in WWE but we've mentioned two of them you know that Cactus Jack versus Randy Orton and Cactus Jack versus Triple H you know they were they were ones where Mick was using the Cactus persona and some people that are WCW aficionados might have thrown in a Cactus Jack versus Sting match that Mick talks about in his, in his book has been his favourite match for a very long time and it's interesting that he went to Cactus and I, I just love the I love the believability you know that this one human being could have these three personas and we could go oh it's silly wrestling stuff but actually do you know what it kind of worked not in a Joseph Park is actually abyss sort of way but in a um, you know there was a logical step between Mick playing around as dude love and being a little bit twisted as mankind and and going to a nasty place as Cactus and it's like that's quite hard to do and I think someone with the dexterity of Mick Foley it's like with everybody that's you know that's gone into an acting career from Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper to Cena and The Rock and lots of others in between I actually think Mick would have made a very very fine actor had he gone down that road at an early age I think he could have turned his turned his um um he could have gone to a lot of uh, a lot of places with that um Paul, over to you. Do you want to um, just kind of put a bow on this before we um, uh, go to John for a final verdict? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed doing the research for this one. I think Mick Foley is a bit of a sleeper for me in that, you know, I've always respected what he did, what he's done. But um, I never really quite realised until maybe this week just how much he did was was so instrumental not just having brilliant matches and brilliant moments because he had them in absolute abundance from 96 to 2000 and even beyond but the pattern is and I think John's absolutely right when he talks about those top four matches are the ones we mentioned um, as well as like he says Foley uh, sorry um, Orton and uh, Edge and I think the common theme is all those great performances were all in the service of getting another guy over Good point. Like so, not only, did, not only did Foley have great matches, he's been absolutely instrumental in making the careers. Obviously, Michaels to a lesser extent, but even that, he, he turned from a pretty boy to someone who could get into a fight and get into a down and dirty fight with a heel like Mankind. Um, and it, it made it made those guys certainly Edge it rebuilt him as that main event that he'd, he'd kind of not quite got there yet. It, that that did it for him. Um, and unquestionably with Orton and Triple H they got them to that next level main event and made them pay their dues so I think you could argue that you know obviously there was guys in the Attitude Era um, DX uh, Triple H and The Rock obviously were more important to the bottom line and as revenue drivers and as big stars but you could argue that there's been no one as, as genuinely influential and important to the future and to building people in WWE than, than Mick Foley's ever been um, I, I think I think he, he absolutely deserves every accolade he's had I think he's a phenomenal athlete I think he's vastly underrated in his wrestling ability you know there was some, some other matches that I've been thinking about that, that he had that we haven't mentioned as well you know all those matches with The Undertaker um, was so good 
and there's another one now that has completely slipped my mind that I want to mention. Hopefully, I'll remember it before I finish this uh, diatribe. Um, and I, I, oh, that was it. It was the triple threat cage match, the last match to use old blue bars on pay per view. Oh, was that that one? That was Breakdown '98 I mentioned earlier. That was one, was yeah. it? Okay, well that was that was. Shamrock and the Rock. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favourite cage matches ever to this day. I thought it was phenomenal, um, and Mick Foley played a, a huge, huge part in that. I think not just, but but more importantly, not just as a wrestler, but as a character. You know, Commissioner Foley in in the year 2000, the the stuff he did with the Rock in uh, Team uh, in uh, the Rock and Sock Connection. Where That's just what a great, what a great point. We've never even mentioned that. Yeah, of course. You really felt for him when he thought the Rock was rejecting him. The the story arc and the drama in that feud where mankind turned heel because. He thought Rock was rejecting him when it wasn't the case. It was just some of the best storytelling WWE's ever done. You know, uh, all respect in the world for Mick Foley. I think um, he's, he's an absolute shining light, an absolute beacon. I just can't say enough positive stuff about the guy. I love him to bits. And we never mentioned the sock. Um, what a, let's do a little bit on um, on the worst of times. It is a prerequisite of the of the segment. We don't like to go into too much detail on this, but because um, it's usually people will be. Uh, we like a great deal, but it's um, there will be some um, some more down points. Um, I would throw in there that um, a possible overuse of the um, the Mick Foley as the um, the punch bag, as in you know you can go to Mick quite a lot to fire him and to embarrass him, and you know, we've even seen that this year with him and Stephanie. And it's like you know sometimes you can go to that well a bit too often. I think as Mick as the uh, the lovable loser, I think they've put, they've overplayed that card a little bit. I was never a fan of the stuff he did in TNA particularly. I never felt that really ever got to a, a good use of him. There was there, there was the odd moment here and there, and he obviously was clearly trying to to help a brand. But I never felt they really got into the um, the meat of what Mick Foley was all about over there. Um, and obviously, you know, one can't help but mention some of the more silly WCW stuff, such as the uh, Lost in Cleveland vignettes that he talks extensively about in his first book. But um. John, before we go on to the, the the verdict, do you have any, you know, sort of worst of times for for Mick that you would bring up? Well, I was gonna say um, he's one of my favorite people, probably in the history of the business in terms of people, not necessarily just wrestlers. Yeah. Like he just seems like a really good guy. And that one phrase that he wrote in his book, "The real world is faker than pro wrestling." Yeah. The older the older I get, like I say that to Paul all the time. I think Paul would know. Like I say that phrase a lot. Because the older you get, the more you realize how true it is. And at the time, when I was 20 years old and I read that book, like I didn't think of it. But now I'm like 36, and it's like, oh, it's true, you know. So um, he's he's got a great viewpoint on the world and a lot of things. And I've met him several times, uh, emailed him, and that kind of stuff. Like he's really really good guy. And I think he would be like the best booker of any current wrestling person uh, that's never done it before. Like him and Jericho, I think would be two guys amazing at it. But they're millionaires, so why would they do the aggravation of working the wrestling business, you know, in that job, right? So, yeah, um, I think you'd be incredible at. But yeah, as far as down moments, I mean, there's not, there's, there's silly comedy stuff, and I don't think he ever wanted to work in TNA. I think he only went there because WWE didn't have anything for him at that point. And I remember when he was in TNA and he was doing a comedy show, and I went to, and he was like mocking the company. I'm just like, you know, it was, it was just he was really mocking them, and it, you could tell he wasn't happy being there and stuff so um some stuff like uh like it, it is sad that like his regular run ended in 2000 when he was like 35 i think so that was really young for a guy to end a, as a 
active wrestler. Like, the stuff in late 99, he wasn't very healthy. Like, with Al Snow, that feud wasn't very good. He had a brief feud with, like, Val Venus, a couple things like that. But there's really not many bad things I could say because he's one of the best promos ever, I think. Honestly, he's in my top five because his ability to do serious promos, money promos, selling a big match promos, and comedy makes him, you know, top five promo to me. And and in the ring, yeah, he was very consistent and pretty good. And as long as his health was good, then he was all right. So, yeah. you know, you know what my worst period for Mick Foley is. Uh, it, there's a bit of a pattern. Mick tends to do his worst work when he feels like he's not being used properly and not being appreciated, and we can all relate to that. But outside of that, I think the worst period for me was in about it was just before he went to TNA, so maybe 2006, seven, something like that. Remember when he had that really sort of strange period where he seemed on screen and off screen completely obsessed with Melina? Yeah. Um, and it oh, became yeah. an on screen storyline. And that just was, you know, again, I love the guy, but that was just a bit odd. Well, a that's in. Odd. What book What book is that in? Is that in the Hardcore Diaries that, that he talks about that angle of how he pitched it and it ended up being cool? I think it's the Hardcore Diaries. I think it's the third one he did where he goes into quite a detail about how that was meant to pan out and basically they got sort of halfway and, and didn't really see it through I think it was to try and get Morrison over I'm not absolutely certain but um, yeah. um but yeah and I, as you were saying that I thought you were about to say I think that he did a match with Carlito he sort of came out of retirement basically to face wow. Carlito and it was just very 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 timid and, and then he faced Ric Flair and stuff yeah yeah it was yeah. I mean, the Flair stuff had a little bit to you know to back it up, I suppose, because of their antipathy mentioned in books and, and in real life and whatever. But I just that that Carlito thing, where I remember just thinking, "Wow, you came out of retirement for that!" And it was, I know there was more to it than that, but yeah, I think that's probably some. That's a good point, Paul. It, it was that was a very very strange angle. But it kind of plays into what I was saying about you know how many times can you keep on firing Mick Foley, and and, and how how often will you you know have sympathy for him, or how often will you just go, you know. You lose your sympathy because you think stop coming back and getting humiliated is the uh, yeah. is the overriding thing. But as always, we finish on the positive. We don't dwell on the uh, the negative stuff because all three of us clearly um, are big Mick Foley fans, and I certainly echo what John said about the uh, the real life person. I've uh, met Mick on uh, two or three occasions. Absolute gentleman. Um, I've got uh, I've got a, from the very first wrestling uh, show I ever attended as a professional journalist. I've got a. Uh, uh, a t-shirt with lots of uh, pictures of some wrestlers on it and funnily enough Paul it's got Melina on this on the shirt and uh, Mick, has, Mick has signed that shirt and I, I made a little quip or something as I uh, was talking to him about uh, any shirt that's got Melina on it must be a good thing Mick or something like that and he drew a little he drew a little speech bubble coming out of Melina's mouth and also on my shirt it's, it's, it's signed by both the Hardy boys who have just signed it and Mick Foley has drawn a speech bubble coming out of Melina's mouth, and her, she is saying, "Wow, I sure do like Mick Foley." So it's that um, <laughs> pe- people see people see my shirt and they think that I've done that. <laughs> they I I've doodled it. I go, "No, Mick Mick drew it." That yeah, Rob, sure he did. I'm like, "No, he did. Mick Foley drew that on my shirt." No, he didn't. But it's like do you have uh, a picture that to share on Twitter to go with this podcast. Uh, I, I don't think it's in the house. I'm I'm sort of between houses, and that's a that's a very grandiose thing to say. But the house I live in at the moment is not got all my stuff in it. I think it's at my old house. But um, uh, I will. But I will certainly be able to dig it out. The whole my old house is very far away. I can go to it. So um, I will try and I will try and dig it out for you. Anyway, it's time for the verdict. Um, you've heard the arguments from uh, from both sides. Paul 
has selected Triple H versus Cactus Jack from the Royal Rumble 2000. I have suggested Mankind versus Shawn Michaels from In Your House Mind Games in September 1996. It is over to John Canton to make the final decision what match is going to represent Mick Foley in our fake time capsule. <laughs> um, I'm going to say first, like I would rate, I, I do star ratings. I know people don't like them. Some people don't like them or whatever. I, I like them because I've been reviewing matches for so many years and it, it's really good to organize them and just kind of look back and see what I rated and people argue with me about them and stuff and that's fine. Uh, one person's great matches is another person's worst match, right? So, um, but I think both of these matches are five-star matches. Like even without the finish of Sean and and, Mick and Mankind, I think the work is so good for 30 minutes that it's like, ah, who cares if they didn't have a finish? You know, who cares if there was no super kick? I wish they followed it up better and actually had another match, but you know, that's fine. Um, but I think the Triple H uh, Cactus match is better. I think that was the match of the year 2000. Yes. I think it's one of the one of the best matches in the history of the company. I think uh, it was so big for Triple H because he won the title a, a few weeks earlier and he won it a few months earlier, but he really didn't have a legitimate big match at that point. So he needed something to prove that he was a top guy and Foley's the guy to put him over. And Foley feuded him with, with him in 97, if you remember. He put him over then too. Yep. So, mm -hmm. so they had a lot of good chemistry and then this match, this story was a lot more physical, like Paul was saying. It was a lot... They built it up really well. The storyline was great. And that story with the, like, there was a, a piece of wood that was stuck in Triple H's leg, and it was, like, cut his leg huge. I remember I had the DVD. That was one of the first DVDs I ever bought, and there was an extra of, of him getting his, like, stitches on his leg or whatever because it was so such a deep cut. And he, he worked another 15 minutes after. They used the thumbtacks. They used everything. And it was such a great match. It was Madison Square Garden. The crowd going crazy. I just... That's one of the, my, my ten favorite matches ever. Maybe top five. I, I just love that match. Great. The streak is over. Well, yes, I've been having a good run on this uh, on this particular <laughs> feature, and it's um, it's time for it to end. And you know what? I'm. You're gonna <laughs> if, pick that one. Too, if there's know. one, if there's one thing I don't like, it's a good loser, because <laughs> it's it's much more fun to throw your toys out of the pram and and go ballistic. But actually, do you know what? I may have chosen that match. I actually don't know. I didn't know. I thought Paul was going to pick the Randy Orton one. And I wasn't sure what I was going to go for. And I thought you were going to pick the Randy Orton one. So it, um, it, it made my decision a little easier because I would have probably gone for uh, either this one or the one I ended up going for. But um, there we go. It's the, it's the way it goes. And I'll, I will concede defeat to a very, very good match that deserves its place um, uh, in, the, uh, in the echelon of the time capsule representing Mick Foley and uh, hopefully we can at some point um, manage to get that decision over to Mick and, uh, and see if he agrees or not um, but uh, you have another job to do John your, your task is not complete you can no longer uh, go off into your uh, and enjoy your evening uh, you have to give us a, uh, a subject for next week now um, I think you've already decided but I'm just going to tell the, uh, the wider listener that um, we would like our topics to be Broadly speaking, WWE World Champions. Um, we are also prepared to sort of drop down a level in terms of title belts to Intercontinental Champion levels that have been Hall of Famers. That's pretty much where we'd like to, to go with these sorts of things. As I said, we've had a range so far between uh, Bret Hart, Edge, Vader, Lex Luger. Now we've talked about Mick Foley. We've done The Rock. 
Um, so we've had a, a bit of a range so far. We are also happy to talk about female performers. We're happy to talk about tag teams. Um, but again, they need to be you know, right at the very top. As much as you may love the Killer Bees, we're never going to be having them in this section. Um, but uh, John Canton, it is time for you to uh, set us our task for next week. Who will Paul and I be um, discussing on the podcast next time? Does it have to be retired people or can it be like... like... Because I was thinking the Hardy Boys, I think that'd be kind of a cool topic because they're, you know, they're back in WWE. They had a lot of matches, so I don't know. I think that'd be a cool topic for you guys. Uh, I think given that next week is Extreme Rules, I don't think the team Extreme would be. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with that, Paul. What do you think? I'm far from it. I wasn't expecting that to be honest, John. Uh, I had a feeling you might go tag team, but um, that's a great shout. That'll be really good fun. Yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to do that, and I will say that. I mean, the... I could have said demolition, but they didn't have any good matches, so sorry, no, <laughs> no, no offense to them, but they weren't necessarily good for the matches. Yeah, it would be nice to have cool. uh, have uh, subjects where we can get into the meat. Obviously, we've enjoyed having a a big long Mick Foley chat here. I think it would be much much harder to uh, to do the top ten or twenty matches of demolition, but uh, the Hardy well, Boys are an interesting just, topic. Gone, Paul. Just to um, just to. Um make it a little bit harder for ourselves feel free to shoot this down if you like but how about we because it was so easy to name sort of those you know those triangle ladder matches with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian what about how do you fancy doing something where we stipulate it's got to be a Hardy Boys match with no plunder no because if we well we, why didn't we do that with Mick Foley then we should have done a Mick okay. Foley we should have done Mick Foley with uh, no plunder and then, you, then I'd have won but, just a thought just a thought no, I think I think it's part of I think it's part of their gimmick. I think that that's part of you know we're talking about that's almost like doing a Bret Hart match that's got no submissions. You know, it's, we can agree or disagree with you know, the the nature of hardcore wrestling or gimmick matches or whatever. But I think some people are gimmick performers and others aren't. And you know, I'm not necessarily going to say that um that we you know. What I'd be more tempted to say is to go away from any of the TLC triangle ladder That's matches. That's almost two on twos or something like that. I think we could maybe go with the. We could have a little one-off pact and say we won't just be obvious and do because because basically we'd be talking about TLC one versus TLC two. But um, I think we can bring that up in the conversation. Okay, let's let's say no multi-tag matches. It's got to be a two-on-two. Two. Are we happy with that? Yeah. Are you happy Sounds with that, John? Good. You're the one that's bringing these, this team up, John. Are you happy with this yeah, to do yeah. a, a two-on-two two match? Week, it's up to you guys. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ultimately, we would do what we want anyway, but I was just trying yeah. to be polite. Do you know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. And uh, I will say You're this... You're polite like a Canadian. <laughs> well, we do our best. Um, <laughs> I will say this does not preclude us from doing um, Jeff Hardy or even Matt Hardy um, singles matches in the future. I yeah, think that's... A different uh, conversation to have, but certainly for now, this will be a uh, uh, our first tag team discussion. So next week we will be doing the uh, the best tag matches of the Hardy Boys. We can, of course, in part of our discussion uh, of the topic, touch on the multi-man TLC uh, genre of matches. But uh, for now, uh, me and Paul will go away and do our Hardy Boys research. It's very timely. Maybe they've not had their best match yet. Maybe their best match will be this Sunday. Um, uh, uh, maybe that. Uh, they're going to have a match with Sheamus and Cesaro that's going to be their greatest ever. That would not be um, out of the running if we wanted to choose that next week, although I would suggest that a match that has only been uh, three days old and in that fresh in the memory is probably not going to be uh, the fairest of things to choose, but one never knows. We will uh, 
we will see. So that's the uh, that's the discussion for next week. Um, John, thank you suppose, again for being a, a terrific guest. We've gone uh, not far off of two hours talking all sorts of uh, wrestling topics, but it's uh, it's flown by and it's been a joy. And no doubt we'll uh, we'll have you back again uh, at some point uh, later on in the year. Give us uh, give us one more plug about where people can see you. All right, thanks for having me again. I enjoyed it, and I'm happy to come back anytime. If you want to talk about Trish Stratus at some point, I'll be happy to do that. Um, no, um, <laughs> uh, or Mickey James, obviously. But um, no. Um, so tjwrestling.net is a site at John Report on Twitter, Facebook, search John Canton, and thecomeback.com. Just search John Canton. I'm on there too. So I'm all around, keeping busy and trying to uh, rest up for Extreme Rules weekend and all that stuff. So. That's all. Excellent stuff. Um, Paul, you've been uh, jet-setting this week. You've been off to Ireland, and you've been uh, all over the place. Have you got another uh, crazy, crazy week, or are you, uh, are you about to settle on the home front? Um, I, I'm fairly settled. I've uh, got a couple of little trips in the next week. Nothing too rock and roll, though. So it's going to be finally getting to sit behind the desk and, um, and get some work, proper work done proper work as in watching as many Hardy Boys matches as you can you must be very happy actually that this is not the uh, the Wrestlemania slog that you were putting in um, before oh. Mania back in February and March when you were watching four Manias a week trying to uh, get up catch up this is creamy peachy Mike compared to that this is a walk in the park indeed indeed well we'll, uh, we'll find some sort of uh, crazy task for you later on in the year to try and ruin your life once again but for now for, for, uh, for all of us for, uh, for me for Paul Benson for John Canton thank you very much for listening to the Hooked On podcast go away and you can do your own research of the, uh, the Hardy Boys matches we'd love to hear uh, your feedback on uh, what some of your matches you would pick would be uh, we will be back we'll probably touch a, a little bit on extreme rules for, from Sunday and whatever topics catch our fancy next time when we speak to you next week on the Hooked On podcast and remember everyone it's wrestling enjoy it we'll see you next week <laughs>